Welcome to the SPU Voices podcast, an interview show where we hear personal stories that have universal impact. My name is Amanda Stubbert. I'm your host, and I am the alumni director at Seattle Pacific University. This is my producer. My name is Kyle Brown, and I am an alumni of Seattle Pacific University. I am also an alum of Seattle Pacific, and I'm a current parent, so we're pretty attached to this place. But the best part of our job is that we get to hear these stories that actually change lives. So whether you are working out or sitting at your desk pretending to work, sit back and relax. Let's tell some stories. With us today, we have Dr. Stephen Michael Newby, professor of music, composer, and singer. You may recognize his voice from the Seattle Symphony, Jazz Alley, or a Seattle Sounders game. But recently, he's been lending his unique voice to the Song of Reconciliation. If you teach, write, perform, or even just communicate, then this is the episode for you. Today, we have Dr. Stephen Newby, an extremely popular professor of music and director of Center for Worship and the Gospel Choir here at SPU. He is an accomplished composer, gospel jazz vocalist, and a worship leader whose works have been performed by orchestras across the country. They've earned him numerous rewards and grants. You may also recognize him as the voice of the Seattle Sounders FC, singing the national anthem for them well over a hundred times, or from recent performances with the Seattle Symphony. I am so proud to call him a friend of mine. Dr. Newby, thank you for joining us today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, we just, I love the sound of your voice. Can we just talk about that for a second? I'm sorry. No, it's good. It's good. You know, God gives everybody something and, uh, you know, I don't have much hair anymore, so I guess I've got a little voice. You get your voice. You got your voice. voice. So let's, that, I'll Mm -hmm. just let that take us to our first question. So you have this amazing voice. You're a singer, you're a musician, Mm -hmm. you're a composer. Mm -hmm. So what made you want to teach? Well, you know, I've. I wanted to teach. I wasn't really looking to teach. I wasn't looking for it, but it found me. And I knew I had a way with young people. I have a way with high schoolers, and I have a way with uh, college folks. I have a way with, with younger adults. And, and I, I know what good teaching is. I'm from the city of Detroit, and there were some good teachers there, but there were also these other teachers that weren't so good. And my reality, part of my story, I think I suffer from the consequence of having teachers where they weren't necessarily that good. Mm-hmm. But but I couldn't blame them. And looking back, I mean, they were really just trying to create a sustainability in a different kind of way back in the 60s mm-hmm. in Detroit. So when when teaching found me, I just I just naturally moved into this mode of, you know, I really want people to understand well, because I know what it feels like when you don't understand something and mm. you're lingering there in the classroom, or you feel like, will I ever be able to catch up? And so I, I really am committed to helping people know what they need to know. So what makes a good teacher? What, how, how do you differentiate? Because my guess is you walk in the back of a classroom and within about 30 seconds, you, you can probably spot who are the good teachers. Well, I think you need to be a great planner, and all, but always plan that that plan is probably going to fail as well. And so if you are not flexible in being able to have a certain depth 
of security in in a sense of your calling, really knowing that you're called to do that. You don't have to worry about teaching well. You're going to teach well. Good teaching is when the lesson plans on paper lift up off the page and they become alive amongst the community of learners. And good teachers have to consider themselves a full-time learner as well. Hearing you talk about that, Mm -hmm. it really reminds me of you as a musician and you as a Mm -hmm. performer. And I know you do a lot of improvisation Mm -hmm. in in gospel and and in jazz. Mm -hmm. How do those two vocations, do they speak to each other? Do they learn from each other? Well, they absolutely inform uh, because you have to persuade. Uh, I think being a, a good performer is communicating and persuading an audience that this that this meaning that I want you to take this meaning and hold it and sit with it. So you're 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 very persuasive, and so good teaching is being able to persuade. You have to convince students. They need to know that they know without a shadow of a doubt that you are deeply concerned in in in, in a loving way for their welfare. If students don't think you're really concerned about that, they're going to know the information, but they're not going to learn the material. Interesting. So it's the old, and I know I, I know this from my own life, you try the hardest for the professors or the teachers that you admire and respect mm-hmm. and enjoy, mm-hmm. even if subject aside, mm-hmm. you try the most for the ones that you actually care what they think about you because you believe that they care about Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Teachers are human beings first, then human doings next. We do the teaching, but we have to be, we have to also be willing to be taught. We're constantly learning from our students. And when something doesn't work out, that's great. We get to like, okay, that didn't work. Something else will. Because there's so many styles of interpretation and how people learn, ways of learning and ways of engaging. And I think good teaching is, you know, being able to have the skill and the discipline and the forethought and the desire that people will learn and that you can teach from many different strategies the same concept. So you just keep trying, right, a different facet of a different way of looking at something. Thing until it resonates with each right each of your students. Yeah, good teachers don't get stuck. That's a good bumper sticker. Good teachers don't get stuck. No, I like that. They're if willing to st- they're willing to move. They, yeah. They're willing to have shape and try a variety of things in order to be there for the student. If every student who has ever sat in your classroom could walk out the door with one thing, mm-hmm. what would it be? Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't think about it that way. I have a new lens from which to pierce at this concept. I like it. And I like to feel that, too. Don't we all? We all love that spark of I have new things to think about and I can look at the world in a slightly new way. Yeah. And this and it's not it's not this kind of wow, this entertainment. But Yolanda, the late Yolanda King, when I worked with her a while back, the, the daughter of Dr. Martin Luther King, she said it's really an edumatainment. It's education and engagement. Yeah, and you have to pull people in. They need to be drawn out of themselves and into a community of learners. And do you have that same um, perspective as a performer, that you're not just going to entertain and then tomorrow they'll go be entertained by something else? Do you feel the same way as a performer to the audience? Well, you know, I, I feel like I'm a communicator. People say I have a great voice and, oh, you know, you're a good musician. But there's so many good musicians, so many talented people. But the talented folks that really communicate something, 
that that touches me when I hear like a great pianist or a great singer or or a great flautist or or contrabass player, you know, and I'm listening to them play. I'm not thinking about their skill set. I'm thinking about oh what they just said and how it was said. And they're making me communicate and they're funding my imagination. I, and I tell my students who, who are performers and as, and as a, for me as a performer, mm-hmm. I like to think about my superpower being imagination. And so I think every good performer is a good communicator and is held up with this sense of imagination. Absolutely. I mean, you look at some of the most famous singers down through history. Mm. I mean, I'm going to show my age by these particular examples, mm-hmm. but Joe Cocker or oh or Willie yeah. Nelson. I mean, these people oh, yeah. do not have the best voice. They barely have a voice, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Bob Dylan, right? Bob Dylan. Yeah, I was about to say Bob Dylan. Yeah. I mean, his imagination. I mean, even a, even a great singer like the late Al Jarreau or Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, or Sarah Vaughan, or Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, these people have gone on. And Aretha Franklin, I mean, she had a powerful voice. But man, she could sing a story. Oh my goodness. (laughs) It was amazing. Well, and that's why the nation, right, stops and mourns when that's she passed right. because she was a communicator, right? Oh, she, she was a massive, yeah, she, major. She entertained us and she educated us and she took us on a story. Rest in peace, Aretha. Yes, yes. A lot of these projects that you've been involved in lately as a performer and as a mm-hmm. composer um, have to do with reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And, here, and we're talking about you balancing your life and your strength as a teacher, your life and your strength as a performer and, and a singer and a, and a musician. But now we have this third element. And I don't want to say mm-hmm. now like it's mm-hmm. new to you, but I know you've been working on these reconciliation projects quite a bit. Can we talk about how you bring that in as well? How I mean, That's a lot of things to balance. It's a lot. You know, I think you, you have to try to tell the truth. You have to tell the truth in your story. And, and my story is pretty complex. I remember I said to my mother, this was in the early 60s, she said, Mom, I want to go play outside. Can I play? My mother said, no, honey, baby, you can't play. There are tanks in the street. You know, that's in the city of Detroit. You know, when the riots were taking place. And so I think... There are these certain things that have happened in my life dealing with race and dealing with um, justice and injustice that that have always drawn me to this idea of not only reconciliation, but radical racial reconciliation in particular. Uh, Another moment that that really moved me was this this summer, last summer when I was in Jones County, Georgia, where I visited the grave site of a Daniel Newby who was one in the in 1800s who had enslaved my great-great-great-grandfather, Michael. So I, I'm at this Newby Mitchell Cemetery, I, and I, I drive up and I see this big Newby name, you know, on, and, and I'm thinking like, oh my goodness, on this tombstone, what's going on? And I walk up there and this Daniel Newby, and I realize who this guy was because I've read about him. He was a farmer. And... And I was standing in front of his grave, and he's buried there with his wife. And then I just felt like this deep sense, and the, the Spirit of God was saying, be reconciled. Hmm. I was looking for this place. I was looking for something. And so after that, then I was walking around the grave, and I saw these all these unmarked graves. I can strongly assume that more than likely my great-grandfather, my great-great-grandfather is buried there. And... Hmm. 
and his name was Michael. And so I've been going on this journey of, of reconciliation. So I, I talk about it. I write about it because I know for America, this is a very important situation. It's a very important mm-hmm. deal. We need to pay attention to it. So most of my music uh, has been, you know, in this season, like the last 15 years, really been this idea of reconciliation. I mean, my dissertation was a symphony to Dr. Martin Luther King, and it won dissertation of the year at the University of Michigan in 1995. And then I've written an oratorio on Dr. Martin Luther King. Uh, my latest oratorio that's going to be premiered in Toronto, Canada next month is uh, the Nathaniel Deck Chorale, and that oratorio is about Hosea, and you know, about the prophet Hosea, and Hosea and Gomer, and God working with Israel, and God saying in chapter 14 of Hosea, be reconciled, return to me. So the reconciliation theme and the radical reconciliation theme and all these all these themes of what does it mean to come together, uh, that's always been a big deal for me. And getting people to come together and sing gospel music in a way that, like, am, is it okay for me to sing a spiritual? Yes, I know you're not black, but yes, it's absolutely okay because this is like part of your story too. You know what I'm saying? Right, right. And so I do think it brings healing. I do think it brings repair. Mm-hmm. I think it's restorative. And moreover, I really believe deep down inside that God is glorified when God's people of all ethnicities come together, when they come together and sing together mm-hmm. this good news because the gospel is liberation. Mm-hmm. So where there's reconciliation, you have to re- realize that that the repair and the damage is in one place, and you have to make a decision to be reconciled. We were oppressed. We we're all oppressed in some kind of way, and God came to liberate and take us to another place. And that whole process is reconciliation. Can I just go back for a minute? Sure. Because I am just, I'm so struck by the, the mental picture mm-hmm. of you standing before this huge gravestone yeah. of a man who owned your mm-hmm. ancestors mm-hmm. And, and God is saying to your spirit, be reconciled. What does that mean? I mean, the word forgiveness comes to mind, but I feel like it's a much bigger well, picture it, than that. What does that mean it in means, that moment? It means that you you have to go on this journey. And take up this cross, take up this idea every day, because according to things outside of God's kingdom, you want to be reconciled? No, you want to you want to beat people up. You want to take what's yours. Take what's yours. Yeah. But in God's kingdom, it's another thing going on, and I think. What you have to realize that reconciliation is not a task. It is a journey. And it's something that must be lived and breathed. Mm. A choice in every day. It's a, it's it's a choice every, day, every choice. day. Every day. Like faith, right? It's not, it's, you don't it's, make one choice and that's it. It's, it's like love. Mm-hmm. It's like hope. And the greatest of these is, is love. But you can't get to love until you understand that that there's a need to be reconciled. As you're a teacher, as you're a performer, as you're a communicator, as you're weaving in this reconciliation, what would be your dream? What would be your hope that that when a hundred years from now, Hmm, we're hmm, celebrating Dr. hmm, Stephen Michael hmm, Newby hmm, and remembering him, hmm. what would you hope that we say about you? Well, I hope that they say this man was really about 
radical reconciliation, radical racial reconciliation. And we see it in his art. We see it in his music. We see it in his life work. And this is what he was about. And it has helped. It has helped humanity. I hope it does. And, you know, whether I help two or three people, which is seen or unseen, or a million people. You know, I remember singing, leading worship at Promise Keepers Stand in the Gap in the 90s, where there were a million men on the march. And and I was asked to sing the reconciliation song by Morris Chapman and Buddy Owens. And let us be the generation of reconciliation and peace. And that was another moment that I knew that this is this is something that God's calling me to be about. And so I've got these moments in my life mm-hmm. where that has been an integral strategic theme that I believe the Spirit of God placed before me. And there are still things today that I'm being uh, challenged with and invited to to participate that have a lot to do with this radical racial reconciliation. It almost seems counter to what we're talking about. You to ask you a question that um, is going to focus back on you because I know I feel yeah. like your hmm. your life is about saying no. Don't look at me. It's well, about God. It's about the work. Well, I mean, I get it. I get it. You know, I God uses people. Yeah, but. God uses people that that are willing to be available. And so it's not like I think oh, I'm like all that, but but I think I really have come out of my comfort zone. I'm willing I'm willing to take risks for a kingdom, for the kingdom, for God. Uh, I did that when I left Detroit, Michigan. I left that I was a teacher at the University of Michigan. And then God called me to be a worship pastor. I was a worship pastor almost 25 years at this one church in, in, in the Seattle area. And it was a multi-ethnic church. And that was a risk. But I was extremely blessed through the consequence of accepting God's invitation. And then that invitation, you know, during that invitation, I was invited to be here. I, w- I would not have this conversation with you had I not taken a risk back in 1993 to leave leave my comfort zone. God calls us to leave out leave our comfort zones and really where i was going with that yeah. is because <laughs> yeah. well i feel like i i don't think i've ever had a conversation with you hmm. that something hasn't come up and it's always a side note and it's never hmm. a brag and it's never a name drop but you have met more amazing people oh, yeah, and done, crazy. been in the position to do some unbelievable oh, yeah. oh, things leonard bernstein uh, uh stevie wonder i mean i've 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 been on the platform with Michael W. Smith, Chris Tomlin, Newsboys, and I say that you know I'm just not dropping names, mm-hmm. but that that was that's the way I was working. You know that that was what you did. I mean, I was a Maranatha Promise Band singer, and I did that for about 12 years and worked with Integrity Music. I took all those experiences and I brought them to the classroom, and I can I can that I can look into a student's eyes and say, you know what, this is going to work. That's not going to work. This is what I've experienced. I bring my real life experience in the industry and I bring it inside the classroom. And I know the reason why I had those experiences so I can pass on that knowledge and wisdom and sense of discernment to the next generation. Because yeah. that's what it's about, right? Right. <laughs> right. Right. You know? right. Being in the moment and, and with all those people is great. But then what are you going to do with it? Well, I get to bring it to the classroom. And I get to talk to students about it. And I get to share with them. And I get to teach from that kind of life experience. It is very rich. And I know how much your students 
love it and appreciate it because I, I see well, I don't it every know, day. Man. These, I see it every these day. Students, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They don't tell me. They just, they just, mm, yes, sir, Dr. Newby. You know, that's all. You know, I, but, I, but they know I love them. Yeah. I, I hope that. I, yeah. I, yeah. And they know I care. They know that I care. They do. They do. I can second that for sure. Back up one little bit. So you were talking about the risks, right? The risks and the rewards. Mm-hmm. And for you, I, I think some of the things you've said yes to, there was a much bigger risk on the on the other end than, mm. than a lot of us have had to say yes to. Can you talk about a specific moment where you almost didn't say yes because it seemed like too big a risk and then you had a really amazing experience on the on the other side? I almost didn't leave Detroit to come to Seattle. I almost didn't leave. Listen, I had a job at the University of Michigan. <laughs> they were training me to be a concert music composer, to get big commissions and all that. I was the first African-American male in the composition program to teach. Wow. I was the first black faculty person in the composition division at the history of that university. Wow. You have to understand that. And today they So even staying was a risk, right? I mean there was well, even a Well staying was a risk, but there. but leaving was even riskier. I'm gonna do that to take on a church job. Mm-hmm. Really, God? Mm-hmm. Really? I know some people thought I was absolutely crazy. But we did it and I was very blessed. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be back into the education space and mm-hmm. environment had I not left the University of Michigan to get all of that experience working on the West Coast and in the Northwest and learning what it is to to be a worship leader and a recording artist with Maranatha and a recording artist with Integrity Music. And, and I had my few little projects. Mm-hmm. You know, that's more than what some people would even ever... People don't get to do that. Right. And I, I got a chance to do that. Why? And it was a spirit saying... Because I want you to disciple others. I hope we all make those choices, right? I hope we. Yeah. I, I hope we yeah. all make we, that, we, we have to, that we have, choice. We have to take risks, and there are still risks in front of us that we have to make a choice every day. Mm-hmm. Do you have a recent one? This Hosea Oratorio in Toronto. I almost pulled the plug, and I almost said, "You know, I don't know if we're ready for it." And the conductor convinced me, basically. There's no time like the presence. We have to do it because I was I was fearful. I was fearful of failing, of not having like the scores where they need to be. And one of my challenges sometimes I'm, I'm afraid afraid to fail, and I won't take certain risks because I'm thinking, man, I you know I, I just need to be in my comfort zone. But uh, Brainerd Blyden Taylor, the conductor, the Nathaniel Decarus said, "No, Doctor Newby, we really need to do this, and I think it's going to be okay." So I just got back from these like amazing rehearsals. Uh, in Toronto, these amazing singers, and I'm so glad I took the risk and I did not delay and pull the piece. People don't understand composing is very demanding. It's it's a very selfish animal. It wants to consume you, and you need to be consumed with it in order to really hear the music deeply that's going on, that's being deposited in you, because you have to be a ready writer and transcribe what you hear, and that's a discipline. And some artists, they're just... They're not ready to do that. There are sometimes I have procrastinated and not pushed on some pieces because of, oh man, I'm hearing all this stuff and I can't hurry up and get it down. I got to take the risk and be vulnerable and do the art. Being an artist is risky. 
<laughs> Amen to that. <laughs> right, but there's so much reward, right? There's, there's Oh my goodness, yeah. There's actually we uh, another episode of our podcast we were dealing with the uh, speaking with a, a writer who helps others mm-hmm. become writers and tell their own story oh. and and there's a bigger risk in leaving it die letting it See, die inside yeah, you than the risk that. of letting it I out. It. And I, and the more you try, I think mm-hmm. the more you realize I can't I can't let it stay inside. No. And now, like you said, and now you get to help others. You get to pull that out of others as yes. well. Do you think every college student should have to take a music class? Absolutely. Especially in a liberal arts. <laughs> Wait, know. what do you really think? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Duh. You need to. Well, it's like this. If you're not going to take a course in music, then just throw away all of the music that you, because you're not, you, you're listening to it, but you haven't learned how to really listen in how to really listen to it well. Oh, if you can just take one music course, your imagination, your superpower imagination will just explode. I have a feeling that after this airs, <laughs> all your classes are going to be booked up. For That's the right. Let's, let's so sign up, up now, these classes. <laughs> sign up now. There's not going to be any, any left. All right. We have time for one more question. Okay. And it's 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 really just what I want to know. Mm-hmm. What's your dream project? You have had so many mm. varied and unbelievably amazing and out of the box projects. If you could wave a magic wand and have the project of your dreams, what would it be? This is like a really big dream. I really love what theologians call the fifth gospel. Uh, now, this dream is a little complex, but just bear <laughs> we're, with we're, me. We're, bear, okay. bearing with you. I want to write an opera on Hosea that has a sci-fi slant to it. And with that, that would be housed in this institution, the worship and the arts in some place where like there's like a thousand acres where artists all over the world descend at this place and practice their worship arts. And it would be well-funded. I know this might sound crazy, but like a 200, I, I don't want to talk money yet, but <laughs> it's going to cost a lot to do. Yeah. But humanity is going to pay a price if it isn't done. I still have not seen a very serious conservatory of the arts that's focused and dedicated to the Christian sacred text and to art that reflects Christianity's thoughts and understanding and theologies so that we have so that humanity flourishes. Well and reconciliation, right? Yeah, Bringing and, and, all the oh, yeah. all the cultural experiences of all the, the same cultures thing experience. together. Absolutely. And yeah. and because I just have this sense, I just have this feeling that when we proclaim God's kingdom through the arts, theater, dance, uh, spoken word, music, film, poetry, and so on, and, and literature, I just think it hits the soul in a different kind of way. Even preaching is an art form. Good mm-hmm. preachers consider themselves artists, poets, and priests. Our artists, if our if our politicians would only see themselves as artists as well, maybe more good work can get done. I mean, they're you know some folks are doing good work, and some they need help, they need our prayers. Can there be a community of learners at a space where 
This thing is going on 24-7, and people from all over the world would descend upon this place. And there would be this, this, of course, these festivals, these performances constantly on God's kingdom, on reconciliation. Now, that's a big dream, but it would bring healing to the nations. It would revolutionize the way we see each other. I'm convinced of it. Well, if someone within the sound of my voice has uh, multiple millions to get the ball rolling, just you know where to find us. Yeah. We're, we're here. We're here. We're here. Let's do this. <laughs> I can't thank you enough oh, Amanda, for being thank here you. today. Thank, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. It's an honor to serve. Can Amanda, I? just get, get calling. You know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna to do the best to be here. Can I ask one more tiny favor before yeah. we go? Mm-hmm. Will you sing us out a couple bars of something? Sure. Uh, when peace like a river attaineth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul is well with your soul. Amen. Oh, it's well with mine. Thank you, <laughs> yeah, Stephen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Amanda. We hope you liked today's interview and learned something along the way. From Amanda and Kyle, we ask you to rate, review, and subscribe so we can keep bringing you these personal stories with universal impact. See you soon.